You are listening to the San Antonio Zen Center Dharma Talks. The San Antonio Zen Center is supported solely by donation, so that everyone can participate in our offerings and programs, regardless of income. If you are able, please consider making a donation to SAZC through the donation button on our site, sanantoniozen.org, or by visiting paypal.me slash sanantoniozen. Thank you for your practice and enjoy the talk. A very gifted teacher and uh, good friend and Dharma sister. Um, welcome, Jean Sensei. Good morning and good afternoon and good evening in the case of some of my friends who are in Norway, I think. Um, how wonderful that we meet like this, that we come together in this new way, feeling like this might be the unlooked for silver lining of this great crisis that we're all negotiating is that we're getting to come together in ways we could have done this in the past, but we never, we never even experimented with it. And now we're coming together regularly in search of in search of a structure for our practice and in search, I think, of Sangha, of community, in search of connection. So I'm gonna, and you'll see the reflection in my glasses and it gets, it's, it's kind of clunky, but I'm gonna read from my screen so I won't be able to see you so do promise me if anything goes terribly wrong that you let me know. Um, but I'll hope that you're all there, comfortable and easy and enjoying, enjoying being part of this group. Um, so what I wanted to talk about, what I've been thinking a lot about lately is um, the idea of knowing the yearning for, um, for truth, for fact, for something to hold on to that I know I'm experiencing and I hear from other people that part of the distress we're having right now is not knowing what's going to happen. In fact, not even knowing what's happening because the information we're getting comes with all sorts of skewed agendas. So, the, the fake news that the universe is giving us, um, the selective edited version of what's going on that 
comes into our, our personal bubble is such a place of practice for me. And I see myself tighten as I become more anxious. I see myself stiffen into wanting things to be a certain way. The, um, the koan in the Book of Serenity, and I meant to go and get the Book of Serenity during the break, and then I forgot, and I had a cup of tea instead. So you'll have to forgive me, but I'll read it from my screen. The co it's case 20 in the Book of Serenity. I'm sure many people have heard this before, but Dizan, Dizan and Fion have one of those routines where one asks a question and the other responds. And Dijon says, where are you going? Fayan says, around on pilgrimage. Dijon says, what is the purpose of pilgrimage? And Fayan says, I don't know. And Dijon says, not knowing is most intimate. So I really enjoy this routine, this kind of waiting for Godot style dialogue, two guys, both of whom had status in the, in the Dharma realm. One says to the other, where are you going? The other one goes, I don't know, I'm just going around. I'm going on pilgrimage. Dijon's not letting him away with it, going, well, what is the purpose of the pilgrimage? And Fion says, I don't know. Rather than coming up with some clever or striking or even, you know, cutting through delusion style Zen answer, he just goes, I don't know. And Dijon says, not knowing is most intimate, or some translations have not knowing is nearest, but not knowing, that's a good answer. That's a good answer to the question. When I first came across this um, many years ago, I thought, oh, so maybe all my efforts to know stuff, <laughs> all the clutching at facts and information, clutching at being right about things, and looking things up in books and then showing it to other people going, this is what's happening. Maybe that's an expression of, if you like, my neurosis, my, my tightening, my anxiety, rather than Rather than a healthy state, maybe this is a, a symptom of my being really caught up in wanting things to be a certain way. As you know, I'm sure um, Shunryu Suzuki's first book of lectures was collected under the title Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And this idea of beginner's mind was also very 
new and shocking to me when I first encountered it. I was like, a beginner? Why would I want to be a beginner? I want to be the expert. <laughs> I want to be the one that knows stuff. I want to be the one that sits at the top of the room telling people how to do Zazen. So 25 years later, I have gone so far in the other direction from that <laughs> to the point where I'm going, I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know why I'm going around on pilgrimage. I don't know what's true and I certainly don't know what's going to happen. I was talking to my, my poor wee mammy, my mother the other day, she's 87 and this is really bewildering for her. And she keeps saying, what's going to happen? As if I knew. And I have to say, I'm sure it's all going to be okay, mum, but let's just get through today. Let's just do our best right now to stay safe. Because we don't know. <sighs> so the not knowing mind is the one that happens below the cognitive brain. In, in my kind of mental model of my metaphor for where this goes on, where's Zazen? happens, where shikantaza happens is there's the little know-it-all brain up here and I am surrounded by people who will testify to me being a know-it-all, particularly my husband, because <laughs> there are certain things that I go, well, I know and I can show you where I read it online. Um, I catch myself going, actually, Actually, I think you'll find. And then I go, Ooh, I'm being little miss actually again. I'm being, I'm explaining something rather than listening. I'm telling someone, telling the person that I'm spending a lot of time with at the moment, I'm telling him what's true and what's not true. And I catch myself actually, I go, Time to listen, time to hear what this other person is telling me. So, I think that the knowing and the not knowing is wanting to categorize so I can control something. I know it arises with anxiety. If I'm in a space where I feel anxious, if I can label the threats, I imagine I have some more control over them. In Ireland, and particularly in the North of Ireland, we have very few people of different races um, or mostly or mostly white so we're 
not experienced in pushing people away because of their skin color. We've got other reasons to do it, but we've got more sophisticated ways of categorizing people, as some of my friends here are familiar with. Um, I'm from the south of the country, and as soon as I open my mouth, I'm identifiable as from, I have a southern accent. Um, so people know, think they know what my, what my politics are and what my religion is. I say I'm a Zen Buddhist and they go, ah, but are you a Catholic Buddhist or a Protestant Buddhist? Which is an important distinction. And I go, it's the great thing about Buddhism is that we don't have these kind of distinctions. I find myself needing to remember that again and again. Many, many years ago, somebody said something harsh to me in, in the monastery where we were living. And I was really hurt, really, really, really hurt. And I went away and wept. I went away and thought, oh, that wasn't fair. And later, the person, it was a man, a very large man that I was quite frightened of came to me and said, I'm really sorry I said that. I saw on your face that it hurt you. And I said, no need to apologize. It's what I would have expected of you. I mean, that this was what I would expect you to do to hurt me. And I saw his face crumple. And I thought, I had put him in a little box and told him that his apology was worthless because he was, you know, he was a bad person. He was a bully. And I went away thinking, ah, that wasn't a skillful interaction. And it took me a while and I went back to him and said, now I apologize. I apologize for saying it was just typical of you to be like that. And I see your big heart and I see how you came to me with a genuine intention. And I apologize deeply for not having met you there. And we're better, we're not bosom buddies, but I met him again relatively recently and we got on. We got on pretty well. And I thought there was a whole history of my thinking that a, you know, a large bloke, a big guy, was a threat to me. And he had confirmed it by saying something harsh. So when he tried to step outside of my story about him, I couldn't hear it. I pushed him away, I put him back in that box. And it took walking away, breathing into it, going, huh, I don't know. I don't know who he is. And he was trying to tell me who he was in that moment. And I didn't hear him. So this labeling that I was doing 
and that I was doing unconsciously was creating separation. I, I have to, I, I just want to tell you about something that I read today, you know, my doom scrolling, one good story. Um, in 1847, which was absolutely the worst year of the Irish famine, people dying all over the place um, and emigrating to the US, the Choctaw, I think it was the Choctaw Nation, sent $170 to Ireland to help the Irish. I'm just like, oh my God. So since May, there's been a GoFundMe fundraiser for the Navajo and Hopi tribes and the Irish who were reminded of this. There's a memorial in, in County Cork um, celebrating their gift. And the Irish have been donating constantly since then. And it just surpassed, uh, the, uh, the Irish donation just surpassed a million dollars today. I think the total is $6 million has been raised. But I found this so moving that this history of suffering and oppression, that people reaching out across the miles, they didn't have Zoom, <laughs> they didn't have ways of connecting, but they sent us money to try and save our lives because we were starving to death during the potato famine. And I just felt the tenderness, the intimacy, the not separating of that and how important that was. I think that when I tighten, when I'm scared and when I tighten, I can't see someone else's humanity. I can't see what we share. So sitting upright, straightening my spine, letting my shoulders drop, letting my abdomen soften and open, and just breathing in and out. My anxieties settle down and I'm available for connection. When I drop the stories about who other people are, about who Texans are, for example, Texas has a whole meaning in Ireland that it probably doesn't have in Texas. And I know Ireland has a whole meaning in the US that it certainly doesn't have over here. I used to see, I said this before, but I used to see, you know, on St. Patrick's Day, hats that said, kiss me, I'm Irish. And we don't do that in Ireland. That'd be like saying, kiss me, I'm a human being. Kiss me, I can walk upright on two legs. It's like, it's not, it, these labels. So I'm, um, happy to be Irish. I'm glad to be living in a country that isn't officially Ireland. 
which is another delicate subject. Um, I told this story earlier and I'm going to tell it again. Sorry, Johnny. Um, I had to, I told it last night, um, I had to drive down to Dublin, which is 100 miles from here, on Wednesday, which was the first day of a massive lockdown in the south, not in the north, in the south. And part of the lockdown was what the police said was a visible presence. So I had a I'd given myself three hours for a two hour journey to get my eyes dilated and diabetic, get my retinas examined. So I was going fine, nobody on the road. Every, and then as we approached the border, the tailback was two miles long. And I was sitting in my car watching the minutes tick by, watching my Google Maps telling me that my arrival time was going to be, you know, at the time of the appointment, two minutes after, 10 minutes, you know, it was going to be, by the time I got there, I was half an hour late. Um, and I, there was nothing I could do. I couldn't even get off the motorway. I was stuck in traffic. I thought I could phone the, in fact, I couldn't phone them. They, they phone you and give you the appointment. It's a free eye test. It's fantastic. Um, but they give you the appointment. But I, I knew a way around it, and I thought, well, I phone them now and tell them I'm going to be late. When I got there, I asked the woman, if I had phoned you, would you have still let me come? And she said, no, I would have told you to turn, turn back. It's just as well you came. Um, that's a complicated extra thing. The point is, I was so stressed. <laughs> I was like, never mind all this Zen thing. I am sitting in a car. I have no control over this situation. I'm going to be late for a really important eye test that you know was supposed to happen in March and has been delayed all this time. I've just expended a lot of energy and time and gas getting this far. I can't do anything. What am I going to do? And then I remembered. I thought, just straighten your back, turn off the radio, breathe in, breathe out, and just sit. Sit in that stillness. Occasionally put your foot in the gas to move forward two feet. And it took an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes of, of Zazen in a car. And it was okay. And it was okay. It was okay because I showed up and they were just all Irish about it, which is, yeah, don't worry. Come on in. Come on in and have your free eye test that you're 30 minutes late for. So what could have been a very difficult day, and it still was because then I had to drive the whole extra 50 miles without knowing, but I was thinking about not knowing and thinking, I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. I have no control over this. And that's the not knowing space is no idea what's going to happen. And it was okay. It was okay because I was sitting with it. So, you know, I often ask all these Zen teachings, these Zen stories, these Zen instructions, that's all very well, but how does it help in my life right now, in your life right now? 
is this, is this a support for the way I'm being in my life? And that gave me a clear um, example of how it was helpful. When I'm finding myself frightened about what's going to happen next here and there. I voted by post. I'm a US citizen. So, you know, I'm very, I'm very attentive to what's going to happen there uh, a week from Tuesday. And what's going to happen here? Brexit, food prices going up, insulin maybe not getting here in time. You know, what's, ah, what's going to happen? And I think of what I told my mother the other day, just taking care of today. I'm just sitting upright every morning and I really appreciate having this opportunity, having this practice with a community. And I'm just taking care of each moment as it shows up. I don't know what's going to happen. And that's terrifying. And in fact, I never know what's going to happen. So it's just really clear right now that not knowing, not knowing is where we are. <laughs>